Hello and shalom. Welcome to Footsteps of the Messiah. I am the host of our program, Kevin Batch, broadcasting to you from beautiful, the beautiful state of Texas. So this week on Footsteps of the Messiah, we will cover the Haftarah and its relation to the season. We're in the home stretch of a few different things this week. The week of July 23rd to 29th to the 29th of 2023. The Jewish dates are today of 5 to of 11 at the end of the week, Shabbos, where we will read Parashat Vayet Hanan which is made up of 7,343 Hebrew letters, 1,878 Hebrew words, and just 122 verses, which equates to 249 lines in a Sefer Torah. Now, this portion is usually, if not always read the same week that Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, falls on. Now, why do I say the home stretch? of a few different things. Well, the three weeks of negativity, or also called Bein HaMetzarim, end on Thursday of 9. And then on Shabbos, on Shabbat, we begin the seven weeks, or seven Haftarot of Consolation, also called Shiva Denechemta in Aramaic, from the Talmud. Now, from this point, this Shabbos till the end of the year, in particular this year, 5783, leading into 5784 on the Hebrew calendar and the Jewish calendar, or the biblical calendar, we read this, plus six more haftarot of peace, restoration, and affirmation, comforting words to Am Yisrael, all from the prophet Yeshayahu. By the way, if you count it up, Yeshayahu is the premier prophet of the haftarot portions, he is the champion of the Haftarot throughout the year. He's one of the most utilized prophets, if not the most, for Haftarah portions. I started counting it up, and I couldn't find any other prophet or book where so many Haftarah portions are drawn from. So the last seven of the year, and the first three of the new year, from Bereshit to Noach to Lech Lecha, are all from Isaiah. Not to mention a few others, I believe, during the year. So, the other reason I say we are in the home stretch is because we are three weeks away from Elul, which means we are looking at Rosh Hashanah right around the corner. So, it is the home stretch of the year two, coming into the last month. Okay, so, I like to introduce the parasha, even though at this point, the parasha is not really connected to the weekly passages. Devarim, chapter 3, verse 23, to chapter 7, verse 11, it's called Ve'et Hanan, which means I entreated or I besought or even I prayed from chapter 3, verse 23. That's where the Hebrew phrase comes from. Uh, very first, I believe, words of this parasha. Usually it's from the first few words, if not the first word of the parasha, that we get the title of the parasha for the week. Moshe recounts to Am Yisrael how he begged Hashem to go into Israel. In this portion, but Hashem refused instead, though he let Moshe do a visual scouting, if you will, of the land from a mountain. Now, with his repetition of the Devarim, the words of the past 40 years, you know, it's funny. Moshe said originally to Hashem in Exodus that he was lo ish Devarim. He was not a man of words. He could basically not speak. But now Moshe is the main speaker in the last book of the Torah. And the book is named Devarim, and the parasha of the beginning, uh, the book is called Devarim. And the first words of the parasha are Eleha Devarim, and Devarim 
can mean both words or it can mean things, both plural and Hebrew. Now I see the first letters of Devarim as a code connected to the prophecy about Moshe in the book of Devarim, which we'll get to in a few weeks, chapter 18, verse 18, that says God will rise up a prophet like him. The letters of the words Ele HaDevarim could be spaced slightly differently to say El, Aleph Lamed, meaning God, the most generic name for God, then He, an abbreviation. The letter He itself can be used as an abbreviation for the most sacred name for the Yudke Vavke, and is the things or is the words. So the sentence you end up with is if you spaced it differently, these letters could be seen to say, God, Adonai, is, and the word is is in pride in Hebrew, the words. So God, Adonai, is the words. Or God, God, comma, Adonai, is the things. What do I mean by this? So if you look at it, if you know Hebrew, you can see that you would have Aleph Lamed, space, Hey, space, Devarim. So it would call God both just the basic name, God, I mean, I say it, I mean the, the, the text, God, then his most sacred name by abbreviation for a hey instead of viewed kebabke, and then saying as if to say he, God, is all things and is all the words in the Torah, which came through the hand of Moshe and are being summarized in this very book, which we call Devarim. Now also, I think the two names of God are describing that Hashem is in heaven, He is the Father, and then He has His agent, the Messiah, who is a diminutive, uh, a, what is the word in Hebrew Aramaic? Ze'er, ze, uh, anyway, a, 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 not diluted, but a, um, like a fraction, a, a portion of God, but not totally God. Okay, so he has his agent, the Messiah, who is it was a diminutive of Hashem. Just, I think I'm using that word correctly. Just one letter, the He, born of a woman, and comes down to planet Earth as Mashiach, of whom Moshe was a prophetic tavnit, or figure, or type, or shadow, as it were. So the He is prophetic that Yeshua would not be fully the Yud, and the hey and the vav and the hey but hey just the hey uh, the hey appears twice and i believe that's also prophetic that hashem would come twice to earth once in the first coming it, that i think the yud and the hey and the vav and the hey as god's name is a prophetic story a, a small story in and of itself i say small with no disrespect to hashem but he started out as the Yud, as the hand, creating the universe, right? I mean, Hashem is, he had to contract himself. There's this idea in Judaism that he had to restrict himself and make room for the universe because he filled all things. So he had to dial himself down. So he constricted himself and he became just smaller than he was and became... Uh, I think that's what the yod, the yod in Yod and He and Vav and He, that name, is saying. We don't pronounce it, by the way. It's prohibited in, in Jewish thought and Jewish law to say that name because we don't know how 
it's pronounced and it's not to be pronounced by just anyone or and that's also taking the name of the Lord in vain if you use the, the names Lord in any just flip or frivolous purpose and it's the most sacred name that we have so lots of reasons why we don't say it which is why I'm saying the letters or spelling it or saying Yud K Vav K so the Yud is a picture of the constriction and the Tzimtzum the uh, way that God created the universe the hey is feminine it's the end of all feminine words for the most part in Hebrew and it uh, was it's the fullest it's the largest letter so then he was able to expand back into the world and and represent himself through creation and then the Vav I believe is is the Messiah because Vav is six the, the number six in Gamatria and it's all it also uh, stands for man because man is was created on day six of creation and that's a very common uh, belief in Judaism to associate six with man and then you have hey again well Yeshua is going to come back God is going to rule again and we're going to return to a Garden of Eden state in on planet Earth on Terra so Interestingly, too, well, let's see if I'm back. Okay, yeah, so I'm back on track here. I got off script. So, interestingly, too, the word Edle has a, a numerical value of 36. So you have Aleph, Lamed, and He, which connects the very first word of the beginning of the book that summarizes the whole Torah. So, Edle Hadevarim, I'm going back a parasha, I'm going back to last week's parasha. That's, so, Edle Hadevarim is a way of summarizing the whole Torah or connecting the whole Torah to the Lamed Vav. Now the Lamed Vav, uh, Lamed Vav is in Hebrew is numerically equivalent to 36 and there's an idea in Judaism that there are 36, right, there are 36 righteous souls or tzaddikim who in Judaism are believed to hold the world together in prayer and righteousness at any given time in history and even now in the present. Okay, back to our parasha. So Moshe tells about the, mitzi, the Yitziat Mitzrayim and Matan HaTorah and reminds Am Yisrael that they were privileged to meet Hashem and be shown and to fully know, and be shown Hashem and fully know what uh, that Hashem Adonai Ehiyeh Asher Ehiyeh from early in the book of Exodus is how he calls himself. When Moshe asks Hashem what Hashem's name is, so he, Moshe, can tell Israel. So, uh, this is the, the first part of the parasha. And then Moshe prophesies in the future that many will rebel against Hashem and there will be idolatry, sadly, and they will go through an exile. But when they return to Hashem and become obedient to the mitzvot, he will be with them. Now we get to hear the Aseret Dibrot and the Shema from Deuteronomy 6 verse 3, two cornerstones of our faith. The mitzvot also are given to study Torah and the mitzvot of Tefillin and Mezuzot are given. Now we come to the Haftarah of Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 26. So Rashi has some interesting comments about the first few verses I'd like to share. When he says, console, console my people, he returns to his future prophecies. Since from here to the end of the book, Rashi says, the, the book uh, has only words of consolations, meaning from Isaiah 40 onward, this section is separated from the prophecies of retribution. Console you, my prophets. Console my people, is what Rashi is saying. 
Isaiah is saying. Now, when he says, uh, when Isaiah, that is, says, for she has become full from her host, Rashi says, Yonatan renders, she is destined to become full from the people of the exiles, as though it were saying, she has be become full from her host, meaning she's hosting the exiles, and the land is filling with people, which is a beautiful thing. Now, others interpret Sva'ah, Tzadi, Vet, Aleph, Hey, similar to Job 7.1. Is there not a time, Tzava, for man on the earth? So that's why it can also be looked at the word Tzava as her time has, has come or her time is fulfilled. All right, so I don't have an opinion on that. I think both could make sense. Four, she has taken. So Yonatan says in the next verse, verse where it says, For she has taken, for she has received a cup of consolation from before the Lord, as though she has been punished doubly for all her sins. Now, according to its simple meaning, it is possible to explain, Rashi says, quote, For she has received double punishment. Now, if you ask, how is it the standard of the Holy One, blessed be he, to pay back a person double his sin? Well, I will tell you, this is Rashi talking, that when we find an explicit verse, Jeremiah 16, verse 18, and I, quote, I, and I will pay first the doubling of their iniquity and their sin. All right, so then we come to the next verse. Sorry, I don't have the number, but this is further down in the chapter. A voice, so Rashi's comment on this voice, says, The Holy Spirit calls in the desert the way to Yerushalayim. Kol ruach hakodesh kore bamidbah. Clear the way of the Lord for her exiles to return to her midst. Now he also says, Yifnu derech Adonai, clear the way of the Lord. Or maybe it's Yafnu, I'm not sure, I can't, I can't tell because the vowels are not here. The way of Yerushalayim for her exiles to return to her midst. Every valley shall be raised and the mountain shall be lowered, thus resulting in a smooth, even, and easily traversed road. And the close mountains. Now, the mountains, Rashi says, close to each other. And because of their proximity, the, dis the descent between them is steep and it is not slanted that it should be easy to descend and ascend. So the word rechasim, resh, chaf, samech, yod, mem, is translated by Yonatan as banks, an expression of height, like the banks of a river. And close mountains, uh, Rashi says, compare Exodus 28, 28, and they shall fasten the breastplate. So he says that this is referring to a smooth and even terrain. Don't completely understand that, Rashi. So I will move on. Now, O Herald of Zion, Rashi says that the word Mevaseret uh, connects to the prophets who herald Zion, or that is the prophets who herald Zion. Now, this is a feminine form. Elsewhere in Isaiah 52, verse 7, he says the feet of the herald, mevaser. Now that's the masculine form. Now Rashi says, I don't agree with this, but Rashi says this denotes that if they are worthy, he will be as swift as a male. If they are not worthy, 
he will be as weak as a female and will delay his steps until the end. Now, I don't agree with that. I think it's simply saying that there are going to be female prophets in Isaiah uh, chapter, uh, what chapter are we on? Uh, chapter 40. And in 52, I think that it's talking about male prophets. So that's my take on it. Now, verse 22, it mentions grasshoppers, which was in the report of the scouts who ended up ruining the report and speaking Lashon Hara about the land. Which I thought was interesting because they are coming into the land and much of last week and this week is Moshe uh, admonishing them to remember, exhorting them to remember the sins in the desert and the things that led them to a 40-year wandering. So, and uh, different punishments. So, now a note about the Churban. Uh, the destruction of temple number one. Since those times in the first temple period, Israel has not completely recovered. Now the second temple was a resemblance to the first temple, but the sages say all, although it was required, and we see in the book of Ezekiel it was required to build the second temple, and it is required we do our part to begin and continue the work of the Beit HaMikdash, even if we cannot finish it, which is a common concept in Judaism. So the temple, the second temple was required, but it did not return Israel to the glory days of the first temple. But Isaiah and Ezekiel's words about the temple and even Amos's words about the fallen Sukkah of David are yet to come, but may they and Yeshua's coming arrive quickly and speedily in our days. So um, we see that after a long exile, Israel longs to come home. The tribes, all of them for that matter, all ten tribes, plus the Leviim and Jews from Judah that do not live in Eretz Israel yet, are exiles and the exiles uh, should and did long to come back and will gradually be brought back in heart and mind and soul and spirit to move physically back to Israel. Now what would happen, just an aside, if all Jews in the world tried to come back to Israel today? I don't know how they would handle it. I'm sure they would. Israel is very resilient. But who knows? I mean, I wonder if all 15.3 million Jews in the world could fit and live in Israel. I think it would have to be a, a, a migration of some sort in gradual form. I imagine if everyone wanted to come home, so to speak, they'd make it work. Currently today, just so you know, about 7 million people, live Jews, live in Israel, with the other slightly more than 50% living mostly in America. Uh, total, um, like I said, 15.3 million Jews, about 7 million live in Israel today. Um, the majority of the remainder, I believe, live in America. But this week, we have a beginning of a series of seven weeks of consolation, like I said earlier, leading us up to one major special holiday that is yet to be fulfilled on the eschatological calendar. So I see an even more developing picture here. Uh, Ten weeks uh, is leading up to Rosh Hashanah uh, from the from the 17th of Tammuz we have 10 weeks to to Rosh Hashanah now these 10 are uh, very interesting because I believe they are symbolic of the 10 days of awe so we have 10 weeks to think about what we're going to do with the 10 days of awe meaning the Yamim Noaim from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. So Hashem gives us an even greater warm-up than an even longer uh, ramp-up period than just the month of Elul. 
I believe it, it could it could be seen to have started back on 17 Tammuz. Now, I'm going to share something I haven't really thought uh, for a, a whole lot of time through, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, that I see an, another developing picture here. Seven weeks from uh, seven weeks of consolation could be like seven thousand uh, years, like a week representing a uh, a week, meaning like a millennium for each week, leading to Rosh Hashanah. When you see a picture of six and then something happening on the seventh, like resurrection of the dead, birth pangs, coronation of the king. Uh, you know, this is a much longer study that I don't have time to get into this session, but uh, you see that the five themes of Rosh Hashanah, resurrection of the dead, coronation of the king, wedding, uh, birth pangs, and there's always a fifth one that I have trouble remembering. Maybe I'll remember it. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember right now. But... Uh, these uh, five themes that are found in Rosh Hashanah uh, are, uh, are very prevalent and obvious in the liturgy. So the idea is that this seven weeks could be like uh, a reminder and a picture of God's 7,000 year calendar or seven day calendar. Uh, let me go ahead and just get back on script and explain. So these seven weeks of constellation are a vector possibly, to the end of one year and the great start to the beginning of a new year. Just like Psalm 90 verse 4 says that a day in your sight, O Lord, or as a thousand years, when it is past, and a watch in the night, I think these seven weeks of constellation are a microcosm of the calendar God put us on from creation leading up to the great day of Yom HaKiseh, the day of the throne, Yom Shekulo Shabbat, the day that is all Sabbath, and the ultimate millennial reign, the day of the Lord, where God and his Messiah, Yeshua, become king. But if you're not tuned in to the Parshat HaShavua and the Haftarah for this season, you totally miss this hidden time and season. Now, even if I'm wrong, I'm going to elaborate on this theory. So, the sages say that God has a week of days, and the last day, the Shabbat, is a day of 1,000 years. That is all rest. They also believe that after 6,000 years on the Jewish or biblical calendar, that Messiah will arrive on a Rosh Hashanah in the future. Now, what's interesting about Rosh Hashanah is that it is the only Yom Tov to fall on a new moon. So the watches of the night become important for two reasons. One is that you are looking for the new moon. Also, if you add up exactly what the text says in Psalm 90 verse 4, seven days equals 7,000 years. And we're only counting six days because we're waiting for the Messianic age, which is the seventh day. So six days to God is 6,000 years plus six watches in the night. So all my research shows that Jews had three watches in the night in ancient Israel. So six watches would be equivalent. That's equal to enough watches for two extra days. Meaning if you have three watches in the night, that's the number of watches you have for one day. If you have six watches in the night, that's equal to two days of nighttime watches. So if you count 6,000 years from creation plus two nights worth of nighttime watches or periods, okay, of their four hours apiece, meaning sunset to 10 p.m., 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and 2 a.m. to sunrise, 
you have two extra full nights to look out for the new moon. Now we know the year we are in, 5783, is most likely very incorrect, and we are much closer to 6,000 than not. But we truly don't know which year we are in, so it's hard to tell which Rosh Hashanah it will be where the day of the Lord begins and Yeshua returns. And we are assigned the work by Hashem until he comes back and not called to be lazy and wait around like a bunch of loafers and lollygaggers doing nothing. We are called to maintain and continue the work of the kingdom, including the third temple, until he returns speedily in our days. So, back to my math. I think 6,000 years plus 6 watches in the night mean the ticking clock will be up for the Lord's return at the end of a Rosh Hashanah holiday one year in the future. Now Rashi has some interesting commentary on the verses from Psalm 90, but we're out of time, so I'll cover those on another episode, and please go read them yourself. So this messianic portion of Isaiah helps us see that all hindrances and obstacles will be gone, and with ease and fluidity, everyone's entire thoughts and actions will be focused on Hashem and kindness to, and benevolence to each other. Kind of like that scene in Ghostbusters 2, where the pink slime made everyone super nice to each other, and removed all ego, and everyone was walking around, touching the pink slime, or sprayed by it, and saying, oh, I love you, oh, you're so nice. So anyway, it's a very funny scene if you haven't seen that movie. Now, we are terrible theology, though, uh, the movie, but, you know, there is a spirit realm, so uh, maybe there's something to be learned from that. We are promised this kind of utopian, godly, and benevolent society when Yeshua returns to rule and reign over the earth as the king, the president, the governor of Yerushalayim and Israel, uh, will be Yeshua. And I'll end with this fascinating bit of a Hebrew acronym. So, if you can follow along, I'll try really hard to make it clear. Rabbi Mendel Dubov of Chabad says in his article, Shabbat Nachamu Haftarah Companion, from which I drew a few of these insights, he says that the first letters of the words in Isaiah 40, verse 26, in Hebrew are Shin Mem Ayin. From the words, Se'u marom enechem, lift up your eyes on high. Now, there are many places where someone lifted up their eyes and beheld something significant or spiritual in the Bible. One of these is Isaiah, I, sorry, Isaac, when he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham's servant, Eliezer, coming with his soon-to-be bride, Rivka. Now, going back a little bit further, Abraham also lifted up his eyes to see the ram, caught in the thorns, which many believe is a messianic vision at the Akedah. Now, this is a very spiritual and powerful phrase. Se'ul, or se, I don't know how it would be for a singular, but uh, it's a powerful phrase found throughout the entire Bible. Lift up your eyes, uh, or lift it up his eyes, uh, or lift it up her eyes. Throughout the entire Bible, both in the Tanakh and the New Testament. And just so you know, Sheen and Sin are the same letter with slightly different pronunciation. One is S and one is SH. Now, as you know, Shin, Mim, I'm sorry, Shin, Mem, Ain are the Shoresh, the three letter root word for Lishmoa, and Shin, Mim, Shin, Shin, Mem, Ain also spells the imperative form, the Tsivui form of the word here from Devarim chapter 6, verse 3, Shema. Rabbi Dubov says that when one has Shema, or Shema, not Shema, sorry, Shema means perhaps, when one has Shema, I guess he means when one is truly hearing, 
then you attain to the level of Israel. Because as it says, Shema Israel. Maybe what he means is that if you are not Israel or joined to the commonwealth of Israel, as Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, then you cannot hear anyway. In order to hear from Hashem, you have to join Israel. And in order to be Israel, you have to be willing to truly hear from Hashem. Well, that seems like a good place to stop. I hope you have an incredible Shabbat. An amazing time of rest and learning and Torah study and a wonderful time entering into this seven-week countdown to Rosh Hashanah. Be'ezrat Hashem. We'll see you back here next week for the second week of consolation on Footsteps of the Messiah. Please send us any feedback, questions, comments, ideas, or just a note saying hello to footstepsofthemessiah at gmail.com. Shalom.